Are you underutilizing one of the most powerful restaurant marketing tools on the planet? What do 92 million monthly Yelp searchers see when they land on your page? Is your content accurate and attention grabbing? Are you using every conversion tool possible to set yourself apart? Yelp is here to help. Go to restaurants.yelp.com forward slash profile to sign up for a one-on-one with a specialist that will review your Yelp page and share tips to help you stand out. Again, go to restaurants.yelp.com forward slash profile to supercharge your Yelp page today. Now here we go. We are really having to choose our customers. You know, if we have a strong vision, if we stick to our guns, if we understand our values, then we will not price ourselves out of business. And we can comfortably say not every guest is our guest. Welcome to Full Comp, a show offering insight into the hospitality industry, featuring restaurateurs, thought leaders and innovators served up on the house. Hey, it's Josh. If you're listening to this podcast, it's for the same reason that I created it, to scale your restaurant and improve your life. Let's do it together. I'm launching a nine-week case study, and I'm looking for five restaurant owners with only one focus, massively scaling profit. Go to restaurantcasestudy.com to apply today. Again, go to restaurantcasestudy.com to apply today. Do you remember when you first started in the industry? Do you remember the excitement and the optimism? Back then we believed anything was possible. What if we never lost that? What could we have achieved? Today we talk with Brittany Valle, a restaurateur that's carving her own path in this industry. And along the way, showing us what's possible when you pair talent and hard work with a brilliant mind and endless optimism. I feel like I don't have the most traditional mentor story of like, yeah, I met somebody on a bench and they taught me the ways of life. But (laughs) when I was working with Walter Mansky and, you know, the Sprout Group, Bill Shades Group, I met Melissa Kujakian, who was the director of operations for all of Walter Mansky's restaurants. And she was an amazing source of information for being a restaurant operator. But my my two big mentors are Lisa Tak, who is like our attorney at Gorilla. She was an investor in Handsome Coffee Roasters, which was my first real like hospitality job at all. They ended up getting purchased by Blue Bottle and so they don't exist anymore. But she was a huge mentor for me. I remember asking her when I was like 18. I want to make 65K by the time I'm 25. How do I do it? And she was like, how much do you make now? And I told her, and she's like, there's no way. (laughs) Um, She was just very practical. She was not super emotionally driven, which I am an incredibly emotionally driven person. I was like, I just want to do something that makes me feel alive and blah, blah, blah. And she was like, okay, well, maybe that's not the thing from your job and like be very practical about it. You don't have to wrap feelings so much about it. So even though she didn't have the technical restaurant experience, she was giving me big nuggets of information on boundaries, on professionalism, on respect in the workplace. And at the time, it was the early 2010s to like 2015. I'm sure you and I both know how much our industry has changed from 2010 to 2020. It's like insane. There was no 
professional code of conduct. There was no like me too hadn't happened. It was not the most polished and professional industry. And having Lisa as a mentor who's in the legal field in mergers and acquisitions, it was super helpful. And so she was a big guide there. And then as I get older and more into my feet as like an owner of restaurants, Dina Sampson from Rosso Blue and Superfine has been such an amazing resource. She is just a well of knowledge just from like her history in finance. She's just been incredible. I'm like, girl, how do you have like she has we all have 24 hours in the day. And I think she has like 32 because she is like on everything. When I interviewed Dina, it was like one of the first questions I asked. I was like, how do you do everything? Because it's not like she half-assed anything. So everything she puts out there is a 10. And again, I agree with you. She has the same 24 hours that we all do in a day. What have you learned from your time and your relationship with her? I mean, so much. So she's been helping us right now, actually. She has come in as like our interim GM just to like help us audit all of our systems. And the biggest thing is how do you keep your eye on the finances and making sure that you're setting your managers up with like actionable accountability steps. She's really big on this like accountability chart where it says, okay, this is your name and these are the 10 things that you're accountable for. So if something goes wrong in these 10 areas, I'm coming to you. I am the kind of person I'm like, I'm just going to do everything. I'm not going to like let go of anything. She's been really big of like, no, you shouldn't be doing that. Like you need to let go. I don't need to be the one counting cash and entering tips and all that stuff. I mean, that's really the biggest thing is like, how do you delegate and feel good that whatever is being delegated is going to get done and get done to your liking? And it's really just accountability setting expectations. And that's what we're working on right now, like pretty actively. Right before I was on this call with you, I was sitting with her and writing all the things down that we need to get on. And it frees me up. It frees me up to do things like this. It frees me up to check in with people. It frees my mental space up to come up with ideas of how to grow the business, of how to reach more guests, things like that. So definitely setting accountability and delegating with our managers has been like the biggest nugget of wisdom she's given me lately, which I knew on an intellectual level, but it's so hard to let go of like these little tasks. I actually just recorded an entire episode with like a master of delegation because I think that it's probably one of the most important skills and probably one of the skills that we all lack. And I think that for most of us, it's rooted in two things. Like for me, at least it was ego, right? Like I owned a bar in Hollywood for like 10 years. And like when I was there, the bar made more money. And I would like puff my chest and be like, look at this. This is so amazing. But I mean, what a terrible place to be in as a business owner, right? That the revenue that I make is almost exclusively determined by my presence in the location. And then I think that the second big hurdle is that there's this industry stereotype that we have to be busy, right? You have to be super busy. And if you're not wearing a rubber apron, you're not working hard. And that is not a recipe for a sustainable future is an industry. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I feel so validated. I gotta tell you, I did not expect (laughs) to feel this way in this conversation. I can't tell you the amount of times I'm like, okay, guys, I'm taking Sunday off because my partner and I, he and I just bought a house and it's a mess. And I'm like, I need to take Sunday off because we need to have time to like sort through our house. 
And then I'll like chill in the morning and I'm like worried that I'm not doing enough. So then my chill time. Guilty as yeah, fuck about so it's it, like right? I'm not even chilling because the whole time I'm like stressed. So it's like I need to mentally decide I'm going to chill or I'm going to work. So let's really dig down into the minutia. So Gorilla Tacos, this huge success, right? Internally, externally, like the operations are beautiful. Not to say that it's not a lot of work. You guys get a ton of press. You got a ton of love in a neighborhood that even though it is tightly knit, the neighborhood's not generating enough volume to support you. So you're getting citywide support at that location, which is amazing. And you're selling tacos. And so I'm curious to know when you look back from like inception through execution, what are the things you guys got really right? I think a couple of things we got really right. The biggest one is we were a food truck when it was the food truck's heyday. And being able to start from a truck with low overhead, having seven employees, being open four hours a day, like all of these things allowed for us to really focus on the food, to really focus on creating our voice, which we had a very strong one and still do. And so it was a really smart move for us to go from a truck and not to go like, oh, we've been a truck for two weeks. Let's find our brick and mortar. We were a truck for like five years before our brick and mortar started. And so not jumping into anything, not jumping into bed with the first people that reached out to us that wanted to do a deal, taking our time to find the right investors, making sure that we were in the right place to do it. All of that contributed to us being able to successfully open a restaurant. And then the other thing, which I kind of already touched on, was just having a strong voice. I think we've always had a very strong personality as a brand. It's very clear the things we're into and not into. And our personality is very much like mix and match. I was telling our staff that line up the other day, like we're the mad tea party where none of the chairs are the same and the art on the wall doesn't make any sense, but because nothing matches, everything matches. And that's how we get away with putting a cheeseburger on the menu or making spaghetti or making the fun Taco Bell menu that we did. We get away with it because our brand is debauchery. You know, it's like whatever we want it to be. And it's very consistently inconsistent. That I think that a food truck for two reasons is a really great testing ground. So first and foremost, the truck is shit. Like everybody's truck is shit. Like food trucks in general are shitty, which means like you've got to build like a ubiquitous brand around this monstrosity because that's really what people attach to. And then the second thing that I think you guys did really well is marketing. I think there are a bunch of great restaurateurs out there that go out of business every day because being a great restaurateur just isn't enough. You have to be a great marketer. And so talk to me about the evolution of your marketing strategy over time. Because again, like when you talk about voice and brand and look, I think few people do it better. With marketing, how it's worked for us is just being very genuine and just being very much the individuals that we are. The diversity that make up all of us, like it is just led into like really easy marketing. And I don't think that that's like very helpful as far as somebody growing from the ground up or whatever. But I think being incredibly genuine, being open to like show people 
that you're not like this perfectly clean brand at all times has been really helpful. And then another thing that we did that I do think has helped us was we said yes to a lot of opportunities, whether it's like a catering event or a media event or whatever. Like we just say yes, because you never know, even if it's an opportunity that you may think like that's a little funky, like you don't know what one thing leads to. And so being willing to go to these events, you know, if if a client is like, yeah, we want a pomegranate salad, being willing to be like, all right, we'll try whatever has led us to be out there. I want to talk about Wes and I want to talk about partnerships in general, because you were really young when you got into the game. And I'm curious to know throughout the course of that relationship and up till today, what have you learned about yourself and the kind of partner you want to be? And what are you looking for in a business partner? What does a successful business partner look like to you? Yeah, I'm going to say this loud and proud from the top of a mountain. Having a business partner is like being married and dissolving a business partnership is like going through a divorce. It's very difficult. And so you wouldn't jump into a marriage with somebody without knowing them well. And I would give that same advice with business. And, you know, what I was so young and Wes was so amazing to give me the opportunity for sure. And I think we just kind of fit at the same time, but we didn't sit down and say, okay, what are your visions for 10 years from now? What is your vision 10 years from now? We were just like, oh, you cook really well. Okay. You have like a mind for business. Yeah, let's go. And those things are true. Wes is an excellent chef and I'm an excellent operator. Doesn't mean that like it's going to mix. And it did for a long time and we we're very similar. But at the end of the day, our long-term goals didn't align. I wanted to grow Gorilla as big as we could. I wanted to have this huge catering program. I was okay with working 12 hours a day. And Wes was very clear early on that that wasn't the lifestyle he wanted. He didn't want to be like some executive chef that just does the numbers and makes the recipes. He didn't want that. He wanted something smaller. He would really miss like the truck days and stuff like that. And so because the vision for the future didn't align, the partnership didn't make sense. And Gorilla had become such a beast that it didn't make sense for Wes to stay as much as it made sense for me to stay because he was able to kind of start his new thing and do something a little bit smaller. But, you know, it was difficult. It is still difficult. I was always behind the scene. It's not something that I was as drawn to as Wes was, like doing the media stuff, getting to know people. And so now that he's gone and we've lost that like face of the business, it's hard. Some people are like, dude, I don't know why you even do it. But like Grilla, it it was as much mine as it was his. And I feel like I understood the brand and I am a part of the brand. And going into that partnership, there's so much that I wish that I knew that I didn't know. Mainly that it's like a marriage. Like this needs to be ready to commit. Everything has to align. Otherwise, it's not going to go well. You brought up something that really resonated with me when Pro and Proper was having its moment in the sun and we were getting a ton of media. I always pushed Chef Sammy out front. I didn't want the attention. I didn't need the attention. I've always been an operator. I know no one really gives a shit what we have to say anyway, right? Everybody wants to talk to the chef about ingredients and oh my God, it looks so great. So I didn't even want to bore people with like what I do for a living. Our jobs are dynamic, but not in a way that is photographically like interesting. And I'm sure that you had this moment after Wes left. And I had this moment when I decided to step out and go independent. It's 
Like you've got to be in the sunlight. You've got to take that spotlight because no one else is going to give it to you. You've got to take it. And like, if it's your business, you've got to understand that people have never cared about businesses. People don't support businesses. People support people. And so if you're not out front and it's just, it's a hard lesson. And I only bring it up because I wasted two decades of my career pretending to be humble. Saying, I oh, know. No, 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 go talk to him. <laughs> when like, I kind of wanted it. I did want it. I did want it. You wanted it. I wanted it too. Like, you know, I was like, no, 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 no. It'll be better if they do it. And Lord knows he and so many other talented people I work with were far more polished than me, but I was never going to get there if I didn't put myself out there to kind of look like a jackass every now and then as I worked on my voice, which would eventually become the voice of the brand. So what's it been like getting out there? Oh, yeah. I mean, and the pandemic has been all of a sudden, nobody gave a fuck about the food. Nobody gave a fuck about the chef. They were like, how is the business surviving this difficult pandemic? So all of a sudden, everybody wanted to talk to me instead of the chef. And that was like, oh, okay. And I have tons of opinions. And especially with the pandemic and how everything was handled, I was like, super willing to talk to people. And so I think that that made it easier for me because I actually had something to say. I had something to say about as an operator, it was not Wes who called all the employees to tell them not to come back. It was not Wes who filled out the PPP applications. It was me. And it's so funny because you say this like faux humbleness, like I'm not a shy person. I don't think that at all. I was just kind of like, yeah, I don't think anybody gives a fuck about what I have to say. I didn't want to bore anybody in people's eyes to glaze over because I'm talking about how to properly read a PMIX or what your cog should be, your budgeting. Like I just was like, nobody cares. And then everybody cared. And so that made it a pretty easy transition from kind of being behind the scenes. Well, and it's hard because I mean, especially when you look in my dynamics have always been very similar to yours. Just like a chef wants to grow and manicure a menu, right, in an overall F&B offering, I want the same thing, but for the business. I want to grow this thing, and I have a specific vision for how this thing needs to be laid out over a number of years, and my career isn't tied to a specific menu or a specific offering. My career is tied to the longevity of this business and what it ultimately looks like. Just like a dish and a menu is the child of a chef for an operator. I'm trying to find perfection in my own craft over time. And part of that is scaling it because the only way as an operator to get out of the day-to-day grind is at scale, which brings us to, I think, the next topic, which is Go-Go's Tacos, which I think is like such an amazing moment, right? Because you're like, I did this other business. I learned all of these lessons and now I'm going to internalize all of these lessons and start fresh. So what'd you do different? I wanted to create something that was like of what I grew up eating, which is like we would drive to a couple of taco places in Compton or in Watts or whatever, and we would get asada, tacos, uh, carnitas quesadilla, a lengua burrito, and like that's what we would eat. And it was very straightforward. Nobody's reinventing the wheel. So I wanted to do something like that, but I wanted to do it very high brand because that's something that I had always wanted to like put together. Gorilla's brand is so all over the place. I wanted to do something that was like very strict brand guidelines. I wanted it to be just like vibrant and energetic, but ultimately 
as I envisioned this, I was like, if this concept grows, I don't want to get overthrown in like some coup. And then my philanthropic endeavors get thrown out the window, you know, because it's just not profitable. So I made it so that a mechanism of ownership is to the nonprofit so that there's always money. Even in the event I'm overthrown in a dramatic coup, there's always money going to the nonprofit because in the nonprofit, it's called the Juan Carlos Cantoni Foundation, named after Juan Carlos, or we call it like Canvas Communities. I want it to be well-funded. I want the people, the social workers and the therapists and the people that work with these young people, I want them to be taken care of so that young people who don't normally get luxury care can get luxury care. And so that's where Gogos was born. We employ kids from ages 16 to 24. Like the oldest person that works there is 24 years old. A few of them are part of the foundation. We just make tacos. It's very simple. We use the same quality ingredients as what we use at Gorilla, but we just have some kids making it. We make the tacos. They're yummy. They're a little bit more expensive because of the nature of our ingredients. We also pay really well and we provide medical vision and dental insurance at no cost to either the customer or the employees. So it's, you know, we don't have a service charge or anything like that. So yeah, our tacos are not 80 cents. They're $3. And we're not doing anything incredibly creative or reinventing the wheel, but this is very cause focused. We're doing what we're doing because we want to grow our nonprofit and we want to be able to help as many people as we can. And I'm doing it through the venue that I know how to do, which is restaurants, particularly taco restaurants. There's also a massive marketing arm there, right? Like you guys are doing a great job of getting out there and telling your story. How has being mission driven? impacted your marketing strategy? How has that created the resonance? Because you guys are busy, right? And you're also well-known and it's still a relatively new brand that's gained a lot of traction. Can you talk to me about that? It's food that is purchased with intention. So you're going to Go-Go's because you know that it goes toward a good cause because you know that the food that we buy and is sustainable and we try to be as sustainable as we can with our practices and we try to give back to the community that you live in. But there's this struggle that we're having from the marketing standpoint of what do people expect of a taco and a taqueria and what Go-Go's is and really focusing on that rather than a chef or seasonality or this or that, that has been helping us in our marketing efforts. And it's a very different game than Gorilla for sure. But when you look at the restaurant of the future, right? Because that's what everyone talks about. Every article you read and every magazine is talking about the restaurant of the future. I mean, this is it, right? It's mission driven. It's saying, look, we don't do weird shit with food and it's still good. (laughs) And we're trying to create impact. One of the things that I talk about and I think about all of the time is mutual investment. What I think most people in a neighborhood don't realize is the level of investment that we put in, right, to serve them. So it's a quarter million, it's half a million, it's $1 million, at least, that we're throwing into a community just so that we can serve them. And I think that the transparency of your mission, showing what the return on investment is when they invest back in us, is massive. And I think that through your vulnerability of story and of mission and through the transparency of showing people where their money goes, you've been able to create that thing that for the most part, everyone believed was impossible, which is you're supplying a living wage and great benefits and all of these things. You know, I tell people all the time, 
as a restaurateur, I'm not malicious. I'm not greedy. I'm not sitting on billions of dollars here. Like if I could afford to pay everyone well, I would. You know, and if I could afford to supply great benefits, I would. And if I could afford to be charitable, I would. But you are that restaurant. You've done all three of those things and you're doing it every day. And to me, that is the restaurant of the future. Yeah. And you know what's so funny, Josh? I have to tell you, like the same people that are like, you need to pay a living wage. You know, healthcare should be for everybody are the same people that are like a $3 taco. Are you kidding me? It's $3. (laughs) It's a taco. And so many people on Yelp, especially when we first opened, you know, Josh, like Yelp reviews are coming to real people. It's not like going to the business's logo, you know, like real people who put so much effort into getting you delicious food and delicious service are getting these Yelp reviews. So when I see one that's like, it was not worth $3 at all. Like there was nothing about this. Yeah, I get it's good ingredients, but definitely not worth it. I write back and I'm like, hey, what helped you come to that assessment? Was it how much the employees are paid? Was it the cost of the protein? Was it the quality of the tortilla? Was it how much our rent is? How did you decide our tacos were not worth the amount of money that we're charging you? And it's just because it's fucking tacos and people are like, no, tacos should be a dollar. You should never charge more. How can I, and I really want to know if somebody has the answer to this, come find me at Gorilla Tacos or Gogos, but how can I pay a good living wage pay for medical vision and dental insurance at no cost, support vendors, support farmers that are doing things sustainable and charge 89 cents or $1.25 for a taco. How can I do that? That's not doable. And that goes is the biggest pushback we get is that it's too expensive. The question is, would you say this about any other type of food? Like, is it because it's a taco? Where are you getting this assessment that my food should be cheaper? And with Gogos, that's been, you know, we cannot become the restaurant of the future unless our customers are the customer of the future. And people waking up to kind of understanding like, yeah, things are different. I cannot spend very little money to get quality food. Somebody has to pay for it, frankly. You know, as a restaurateur, running on tight margins in a competitive market, and you and I were not only seated in the same city, we were seated in the same area of the city, which is super competitive. I can't help but wonder, is the real solution that we choose our customers instead of our customers choosing us? I do think that through marketing, through positioning, through pricing, we can say, if you're all about getting the cheapest shit during the longest period of time, that's not how I define value as a business owner. And so either you agree with that, but then the other side of that coin is, and it's, I'm sure with everyone listening, it's the first thing that comes into their mind. Well, I don't want to go out of business, you know, (laughs) I don't want to price myself out of the market, but at the same time, that's a compromise we've made as an industry for a really long time that we were afraid to price so that we could pay our rent and pay our mortgage that no one had. I mean, as an owner, I didn't get subsidized health care until I gave it to my team like two years before the pandemic. That was a 20 year journey just for me to get health care for myself. So it's hard. Yeah. I mean, so funny that you said 
maybe we choose our customers. Because at Gorilla, that's something I said for a long time. Not everybody is a Gorilla Tacos customer. And that's not because we're not like inclusive at all by any means. It's just because not everybody wants something funky in their tacos. Some people just want fucking asada or lengua or something very basic. And at GoGo's, when I was pitching the idea to like friends or colleagues, I was like, I want this to be very inclusive. And I'll never forget, like it was one of our first days I was working from the dining room and these women were behind me and they were speaking in Spanish, but super loudly. And they were like, oh my gosh, it's so expensive. It's so expensive. I'm never going to come here. I'm never going to come here again. And one of my employees came up to me and was like, oh my gosh, did you hear them? And I was like, yeah, but maybe they're not our customer. There's nothing that I can do other than undervalue my food, undervalue your work, undervalue everything that we've built here to make these guests happy. And I cannot do that. We're lucky that the community is slowly starting to open up to us, slowly starting to get it. But it's been definitely a journey. And it's hard for me as like a Latina, Mexican-American. It's hard for me to make anybody that looks like me, that is like me, feel not welcome to our space. But I went on the journey, too, to understand quality of food and understand perceived value and all that stuff. You know, it's difficult. But, yeah, we we are really having to choose our customers and be okay with that. You know, if we have a strong vision, if we stick to our guns, if we understand our values, then we will not price ourselves out of business. And we can comfortably say not every guest is our guest. I'm curious to know, as a young person coming up in the industry, what is your vision for your future and the future of your restaurants? What's next when you envision a year out, five years out, 10 years out? What does success look like for you? My vision for myself, if I may, is to be somebody that has the financial influence that can make the change that we need for climate action, for homelessness action for transit action, to help young people get started, whatever it is, all the things that align for me as far as my values and things like that. I would love to be able to have a voice at the table because I have strong businesses and I've done the thing of paying well and providing insurance and having a social good concept and been successful. Because if we can do it and if we can be like a beacon for like it is possible, then we can totally change the conversation. It's an industry podcast, and at the end of every episode, I like to give the guests an opportunity to speak directly to the audience. Do you have any advice or words of encouragement you'd like to offer? My greatest piece of advice to the viewers at home are, do not sell yourself short because of financial limitations or bandwidth limitations. Like, Just try. There's so many things that we just started to do at Gorilla Tacos, even if we weren't ready, even if it was like half thought out, that we were able to get really good data from by just trying. I mean, regarding her is a perfect example of that. We were just like, we need to do something. Let's do a festival. And everyone was like, oh my God, we only have a month. But we were like, let's just do it. Fuck it. And we did it. And it's huge. And, you know, Dina runs that and it's amazing. So I think just trying and not waiting for all the ducks to align because them ducks are slippery and they will not always ever be aligned. So just go. If you have an idea, just go. Don't overthink it. Don't worry about the details. It'll all sort itself out. Just try. And that's it. That's Brittany Valle. For more on GoGo's Tacos and her foundation, visit gogostacos.com. 
If you want to tell us your story or refer someone to be a guest on the show, email us at booking at fullcomp.media. To hear previous episodes or check out our other content, go to restaurants.yelp.com. Thank you so much for listening to the show. You can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And while you're there, please leave us a review. A special thanks to Yelp for helping us spread the word to the whole hospitality community. I'm Josh Kopel, and you've been listening to Full Comp.